Moving to the atmosphere, we ask about climate change, and Tim Palmer, a professor of climate physics, has the answers. You're listening to the Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching, or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. Professor Palmer is from the University of Oxford, but we still gave him a warm welcome here in Cambridge. He is also president of the Royal Meteorological Society. Well, Tim was also visiting town to give a talk here, and his specialism is in using satellite data to predict weather and climate. It's an area where people not only make predictions, but they also predict the certainty. Of their predictions. Let's have a listen to that. I'm a climate physicist. I work at University of Oxford, but I collaborate very much with the main groups around the world and in the UK and Europe that、um, are developing our large-scale climate models. So I'm very much somebody who's involved in computational models, trying to represent the very complex climate system that we、uh, we live in inside a computer and using mathematics. Okay. Does that mean you? Don't actually measure things. I personally don't measure anything. I have to rely on、uh, people that do measure things, or increasingly these days, I have to rely on satellites up in space, which measure things. Most of the measurements that are made these days are actually remotely sensed measurements from satellites that orbit the Earth. Okay, and you can pick up that data. And I can pick up the data, and of course, it's crucial when we are testing. The fidelity of our climate models as to whether they can, you know, s- simulate the real world. So we need observations in order to test how how good the models are. Your talk today makes a comparison between weather and climate. I mean, just start us off. What's the difference between weather and climate? The difference between weather and climate is actually remarkably difficult to define precisely. I mean, broadly speaking, weather is what we get from day to day. Today's weather is rainy. Tomorrow's weather is, you know, sunny. The next day will be windy. We tend to think of weather as instantaneous, if you like, states of the atmosphere, whereas climate is more about the average statistics. You know, what's the average temperature over? Thirty years of winters, or how how much rain falls on average in the UK during the summer. So, broadly speaking, weather is sort of instantaneous states. Climate is more about statistics. Having said that, it's actually quite difficult to to come up with a precise definition that would satisfy the, the most pernickety statistician. Now, I think your thesis, if that's the word for it, is that if we have difficulty predicting weather. In the short term, what could we say about changes in climate in the long term? Well, it's a question that I'm often asked, and and you know, people that want to rile me will often say this. So, well, you guys are useless. You can't even predict tomorrow's weather. You know, why should I possibly ever trust what you say about the next century? My answer to that is twofold. First of all, actually, to remind them that weather prediction actually is quite good these days, and it's rare. That the weather is completely misforecast for the next day or so, and partly, incidentally, that's because we do have much better satellite observations of the weather than we had back in the old days when we had to rely on weather ships in the Atlantic and that sort of thing. 
However, the second point, which is the more important point, is that there really is a fundamental difference between weather prediction and climate prediction. And, and basically, weather prediction is what a mathematician would call an initial value problem, which is to say, given the observations for the weather today, can I predict ahead, forward, for tomorrow, the next day, as to the detailed evolution of weather, if tomorrow will be rainy, the next day will be sunny, the next day will be rainy again... Whereas climate is more about how the statistics of weather are expected to change as, for example, the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere increases, as it, as it will do in the coming uh, century. So it's what would be, again, mathematically called a forced problem rather than an initial value problem. We specify the forcing is the fact that we are increasing carbon dioxide year upon year. Just to give you an analogy... Imagine today is the 21st of December, which I know it isn't, but it would be the, the winter solstice. If you ask me to predict exactly what the weather will be, say, on the 21st of June, that's six months ahead, I couldn't really tell you whether it was going to be a dry day or a, or a wet day or a cloudy day or a clear day. So it's, it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to predict precisely the weather. But in a statistical sense, I can tell you, because the sun will be that much higher in the sky in June rather than December, I can tell you statistically it's likely to be much warmer, statistically it's likely to be drier, statistically it's going to be summer rather than winter. So the equivalent there is the fact that in the summer the sun is much higher in the sky and provides more of a forcing. So it's a similarly with climate change. We're systematically changing the composition of the atmosphere by our burning of fossil fuels. And, you know, like trying to predict the transition from winter to summer, we're trying to predict the transition from pre-industrial CO2 to 21st century CO2. Surely you're, you're predicting, you just need to tell us there's a problem. We don't need to find our own detail, or do we? So there are different issues here. In trying to alert society and politicians in particular to the risks of severe and potentially catastrophic changes to climate, we don't need detailed predictions. It's enough, in a way, to know that what we're doing has a substantial probability of making changes to climate that can be very largely undesirable to most of humanity. So we don't need detailed levels of fine resolution predictions for that reason. However, it is almost certain that even if by some s small miracle the politicians actually do agree to dramatic emissions cuts in, in greenhouse gases... Even, even with that, we still will be facing climate change of some description. It's a question of whether it'll be bad or catastrophic. If it's just bad, then we still have to try to adapt to what these changes in climate will be. And it's not just about changes in temperature. It's about changes in, most importantly, actually, in rainfall patterns. I mean, changes in rainfall patterns affects all sorts of things, from agriculture, health just generally the environment and we need to make decisions in in regions which might be more prone to drought they will perhaps have to build more reservoirs in other areas we'll have to invest more in flood defenses so the the issue of adaptation involves spending large amounts you know multi-billion pound infrastructure to adapt to climate change and then we really do need to know 
at the detailed regional level what these climate changes are going to be. And that's where these high-resolution, detailed and accurate climate models are going to be essential to be able to really advise government, business, society, everything about what we're going to expect and, and what we can do to try to adapt to it. I should say one more thing, incidentally. A thing that's creeping up above the horizon is the possibility that if we can't agree to any substantial reductions in greenhouse gas emissions then there is a kind of a plan b which most people hate the idea of but it's the idea that we could do something to geoengineer climate as it's called to change climate Mm -hmm. in such a way as to offset this greenhouse gas warming Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean an example of this is the idea of spraying small droplets of, of what's called sulfate aerosol essentially sulfuric acid actually up in the stratosphere which is going to put a hazy layer up there which will reflect sunlight back to space and that will partly offset the warming. Now this is being proposed but the really big problem with this are the unintended consequences. We don't really know what these types of potential solutions will do for example to the monsoons in the world or to to the to the natural patterns of rainfall. We may make some major areas that are currently quite equable into into permanent drought. We just don't know. So again, we would need these very high-resolution, detailed climate models to be able to be confident that we weren't really going to mess up the climate system with one of these geoengineering solutions. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. That was Professor Tim Palmer from the University of Oxford. Thanks, Tim. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Kreese. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. <laughs>